1: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is all about helping people create more meaningful and purposeful lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to make work a rich and compelling part of life so employees thrive, give their best performance, and want to stay. I talk with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. Each week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something you can immediately put to use, and if I can do anything to help you along your journey, go to my website at EliseCortez.com and use the Contact Me feature to message me. Let's open a conversation and explore what's going on for you and how I I might be able to help, whether you want to learn how the Vitally Inspired Living and Leading from Purpose Leadership Program or Consulting can help you develop you and your team's efficacy in motivating your people to give their best while creating a meaning-infused culture in your organization, you want to see about joining a Catchfire online community to stoke your own passion, inspiration, or purpose discovery, or or provide this as a gift and a benefit for your team, or you'd like me to speak for your company or conference. At any rate, I'm glad we're connected and thanks for listening. Now, on to this week's program. With us today is Natalette Lafonte, Lefond de Cise. She is the newly minted author of Le Hoseau Pendant Histoire d'une Marvelous Operation, or The Bending Reed: The Story of a Marvelous Operation, and a motivational and TEDx speaker. Her tremendous strength and resilience ushered her through, a, through decades of pain as her scoliosis progressed to where she could no longer avoid what would be a botched surgery that entirely altered the course of her previous life in a high-flying corporate career. We'll be talking today about her early life and career that shaped her, her battle with scol- scoliosis, and the operation that would ultimately alter her entire life, and how she transformed herself into the writer and speaker she is today. She joins you today from Paris, France. Nadalette, bienvenue. Welcome to Working on Purpose.
2: Thank you, Alice. And first, uh, really, all my gratitude for welcoming me to... Really a great opportunity to be there, to be back in the, in the U.S. with you in, in English. Ex- sorry for the accent, as you could guess, I'm French. Yes. And um, it's a pleasure to, to, be, to, to have all your listeners listening to, to my story. You're so very welcome. And, and I It
1: it is, as I say, I told you before we got on air, it's a privilege to be in your life now and be part of your world. And I want to remind you listeners who are speaking or hearing hearing us today that uh, Nadalette is speaking in English, which is a second language for her. She speaks others as well. So keep that in mind as we talk. Be, be, be easy on her. That She's generating beautifully as she speaks. Um, so when we for this first part of the conversation, Nadalette, I wanted to talk about you. I wanted to help our listeners just really understand who you are how you were reared and some of that early corporate career that you had that shaped you into who you are. So, among other passions for me, um, my listeners know that I'm an identity and meaning researcher. So let's start by talking about just really who you are and there's a lot that makes you you. So if you were to share the key aspects of yourself to someone who doesn't know you at all, what would you say? How would you describe yourself?
2: I think we all agree on the fact that identity changes with age and level of self-understanding. So we are not one, we are many. And uh, therefore, what I should say for sure is uh, today I'm French. I'm 65, I'm a woman. I'm a mother for sure, because that's the sort of things when it starts in life, it never ends. And also, I am uh, the type of person as a friend you can trust. And that, that's something which is uh, very important to my life as a key point all, all over. But also, I, I am and I'm still. Uh, I'm still, I'm still, but I was a very ambitious woman, dedicated for to self insurance in order to take care about herself because others were not that good to take care, and uh, really aiming at financial and social stability and career. As so many other identities, for instance, for I instance, have been, I'm still a party girl. I love to have party. I love to socialize. <laughs> I love people and that's very also important but since uh, the past years since uh, five past uh, the last uh, five years i'm reborn i'm reborn thanks to uh, a tough accident which happened to me as a writer as a motivational speaker, and I hope to, as a better person, and also to myself.
1: Mm, there is a lot there, and there's so much we can learn from you, and there is very much you can draw from to motivate and inspire others. So, and I have seen your TED talk, it is marvelous, not to be, no pun intended, marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, you're welcome. So so you describe in your book about growing up in a, in a wealthy home but one that lacked love and care and where you were psychologically neglected. And you say in that rearing you developed as as we all do in childhood some beliefs that helped you survive and would later make you very successful. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing and what were those core operating beliefs were? What 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 were those that really became your guide?
2: indeed my family was wealthy it's not that different from an American family family which, which could be wealthy but not caring for a child that can happen all over the world and uh, for them the child was just an element of the I would call social package and by no means, no means at, at all would need anything else but to be fed and grow no education I would say so I was longing for uh, love, for ideals for ideas, for sharing beliefs, for anything meaningful, alone and very lonely and at one point I de- uh, realized that I was my own uh, protector I would say and I had to create belief on my own in order to protect me better and to avoid to be mistreated and then part of the, that feeling that the beliefs which were very important and who saved my life at, at, that, at, the, at the, that age when I was a teenager for instance and a bit later on is that nobody could hurt me could, that I feel no pain that I had no feeling no 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 risk and I, then after I transformed those beliefs as I was growing into life into I am a sort of wonder woman I'm able of anything I can do any anything I can deliver anything I can juggle with many lives and Nothing will prevent me to, to do what I want. So that's that sort of belief which, cre- which create my, my life of my survival when I was young. And
1: I wanted you to talk about that, Nadalette, because it is so important that we as individuals get present to and understand those core early beliefs that we adopted in order to survive as children, because oftentimes they do make us very successful in adulthood, but often come at some major expense, just as it it did for you. And it's really important to, 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 to get present to that as you did. So thank you for sharing that. And then what I want to understand, building on that, since we do say that those beliefs can often be the. What helps us become successful? Talk with us a little bit about how those early beliefs served you in the world of, of the corporate space and how you navigated that into success.
2: Yes and come back to me to the 1980s which were these years of uh, very bright but very money oriented very uh, oriented to a fierce comp- competition in business life so it was not an easy period uh, in the economy and the social life especially for women because we were many on the on the work market but not that appreciated that means that we had to fight with men for some somehow getting the, the right level the right pay rise. Uh, the right of uh, responsibilities and so on and so forth so uh, believe such th- those I had which is no one can hurt me I can have it all uh, I can care for myself I have no pain and no fear help me in a world we of for instance to be frank uh, I would I was mainly working in big corporation and in uh, or in PR or communication agencies which are not uh, a world of uh, awfully nice people somehow, Uh, so in that world where the competition was fierce where there was let's talk frankly sexual harassment for for young women where there was a lot of difficulties and where I was some sometimes devastated under work pressure it was an asset to be with this sort of uh, beliefs secondly uh, I was in that, that world from 25 to 40 and and at, at that time it helped me also not to pay too much attention to myself and especially to my health and my body and uh, it allowed me to, de- to deliver to work and to succeed because I was able to work 16 hours a day to deliver before my boss used to ask some for something, to do some uh, 360 degrees uh, work to- in order to be sure that I've covered everything. So I was more than performing I was overperforming, and that's why I've been successful which is not an advice I would uh, give anyone to follow but at the same time I was a sort of uh, I would say a mini terminator you remember the film of Reed, Ridley Scott I was this sort of uh, robot uh, not very uh, I would say not very nice to myself and to the other sometimes and that uh, explains also uh, why uh, I was not that, that happy, even if it was uh, that successful yes uh, Nathlet I wanted
1: to make sure that and you did it beautifully I wanted to make sure that our listeners really understood what the, just the sheer intensity the velocity at which you lived your life and worked your career at the expense of completely being blind to your own health. And I, I think that's really important that our listeners understand that. And I think you did that there. So so next, if we can, I, I wanna make sure our listeners can really understand the, the full transformation that you've gone through. So we're gonna talk more about in detail what you're doing today as a writer and as a speaker, but share with us so they understand your the high level of your corporate career trajectory. You have worked for some very large, very, very prestigious companies
2: you know I left home when I was 18 I had no money because I left home that was it so I paid for my study uh, working as a maid as a uh, babysitter uh, delivering newspapers. things young people do in the US and nothing fancy and in my 20s I had this uh, I was sure that something was was true if I wanted to re- to succeed in a good jo- job, I needed to work uh, really hard. But I wanted to make money and to g- get to a, a social position. And uh, I started in a PR agency in London for a while. Then I went back to a lobby and PR international firm, which was located in New York, in Switzerland, and in Paris, and where I, sh- I start as a contract executive and finish as a and as a vice president so at 25 it was really early in my my life and it was because I was working like hell Uh, I, I wanted to succeed and at that time one of the many ways to, to change salary and to get more responsibility was to change very often of uh, employers. So I moved and at each time it was a challenge from Renault, the car company, famously known to go to, to those days because uh, the ex-president uh, left from Japan to, to Liban after a few uh, a few mistakes. Then I moved to Apple. At that, that time, in the 1984, Apple Computer was not a very known company, Steve Jobs had just launched it. And it was the time of the launch of the Macintosh, and I was in charge of the PR of the launch of the Macintosh in, in France, then to MacDouglas du- Donnell Douglas information system. And I was working that, uh, in that time. At that time, I was 32, 34, and I, would, I had worked so much that uh, when my, when I lost my job from McDonald Lucas Information System because the company has some uh, non-profit uh, has some financial issues and had to, to 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 lay lay off some people, I took uh, sabbatical years for two years all over the world to. For the first time recover myself, but it was not enough because as soon as after travelling on my own to Venezuela, Trinidad, Argentina and India, Nepal, when I came back to the to my home ground and to work. I was back in a wildlife in PR agency. Then I was the, the head of the price relation for Thomson TSF during the war with uh, Iraqi. Then I moved to IBM where I have great job at the international level for 20 years. And this mechanic this comfort zone of being delivering about by about, about being a, a top performer about uh, growing within the company with new jobs new responsibilities new new type of areas learning all the time it was fascinating but it was not uh, it was it was just satisfying my ambition my social uh, Uh, mindset but part of me was dead inside
1: I can Absolutely. I'm very present to that. As you, as I read your book and, and watched your TED Talk, I, I am very present to that. And I, that's exactly what I, what I want to present for our listeners on the basis of you being dead inside. Um, we're going to talk after the break about what, what started your transformation. But that's what I wanted to present for our listeners is just really the sheer velocity at which you lived your life at the expense of completely being blind to your own health and really your own needs. And so that's where we'll leave it for our break. Let's grab that one. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Nadelette Lafond de Cis. She's the newly minted author of Uh, i want to say it in english not just french the bending reed the story of a marvelous operation and she's a motivational and tedx speaker she knows us today from paris france we've been talking a bit about how she grew up and really what birthed her into becoming the very successful person she has become and is after the break we're going to hear about the operation and the transformation that set her onto a new path stay with us we'll be right back
3: Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose
0: this is working on purpose with elise cortez to reach our program today send an email to elise a-l-i-s-e at elisecortez.com now back to working on purpose
1: Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Nadalette de Cise. She's a newly minted author of The Bending Read, The Story of a Marvelous Operation, and a motivational and TEDx speaker. Her tremendous grit and resilience allowed her to entirely transform herself from a very successful corporate executive to the writer and speaker she is today. She joins us today from Paris, France. I'm your host, Lise Cortez. So, Nadalette and listeners, in the work I do helping other people reach their, their next desired level of development or transformation, it's often necessary to create or leverage some kind of a motivating catalyst in their lives to, to produce the change we're looking for. So, you had such a catalyst delivered straight to you in the form of that botched spine surgery in October 2014. So, first, Nadalette, can you tell us how your bodily fin- your body finally began to become the authority in your life and prompted the operation in the first place?
2: A scoliosis is not something uh, very worrying when, when you are young and usually it can be treated. And most, quite, a, I would say one third of the people on earth have a little scoliosis, so it's not something fancy. But in my family, as I said, which was a bit toxic and not very caring, nobody took care took care of the child I was. And then after going through the corporate ladder with so much energy, I, I, it was absolutely un, un, impossible for me to stop and to pay attention to myself and to recognize that I had a major health problem which need to be treated. So after being a mother, after some hormonal uh, shock uh, with the maternity, uh, menopause, and, and everything, this spinal spi- spinal curve which was 20 degrees as everybody I would say, when I was 20, 30, and so on, had become a double spinal curve of 73 de- degrees. That means the next step for me was to be like the old ladies, we go looking to the to the pavement because they can't when they walk look f- look further to the horizon because they are bending so much. Why? Why oh. the, the title of my book, the bending uh, read? And then. Uh, I was stopped because I was suffering, I couldn't walk anymore, I was in pain, I, w- I could not deliver as, as much as I could as I was uh, I was doing before in my work. I was most of the time working happily enough uh, online uh, virtually so I could w- walk from my bed and so on and so forth, but my life was a nightmare, I would say three or four years before the surgery and at one point they said there is no other way you need to have this surgery. is wild they put two titan titan, titanium sticks to your to to my spine from my neck to the bottom of uh, of my body and then they uh, unlock my the spine they put it right we and they screw eat like uh, like you would do uh, with a sailing boat or something like that and it's a 10 hours operation and it's really something I know and I knew it was something difficult and painful and somehow not dangerous but uh, quite uh, strong but the surgeon was telling me you would be much better than before uh, and you won't be very mobile uh, on, on the top of your body but you have good legs and it will be okay and I was in my mind saying well I will look like Madonna uh, with a corset but it's fine I will be fine uh, then um, I had no chance that then to decide uh, even if I was uh, deeply frightened to say yes to that, that surgery because otherwise it was anyhow and that's why i uh, uh, i take the full responsibility of what happened to my life before and then and now because the the one who is guilty see if someone is guilty to to bring my body to that state it's me mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yes, and I really appreciate that you you, you you accept that responsibility and see it that way in part because I see that as an empowering stance. I, I would want you to take that responsibility. So So now next for our listeners, you go through with the surgery and when you wake up the next day from that surgery, tell us what happened. Tell us what you learned. Tell us what you saw there at the foot of your bed.
2: In fact, instead of being in a nice bed, in a nice room in a hospital, I was still in uh, in the urgency room, uh, which was not uh, what was planned. And there was this huge crowd of uh, French doctors, all very sexy, I swear. <laughs> but <laughs> not terribly nice to see them because they didn't look very smiley. And uh, they say, Well, uh, Madame... Uh, you know uh, your surgery went well there is still a little problem your spine uh, has been damaged at the nerves uh, level your your legs are dead they, you can't feel them and they can't move and you won't walk again and I was uh, I stared at them and couldn't believe it it was not arriving to my brain and uh, I, uh, I, I could not believe I could not believe that uh, uh Something like that had happened to me, and uh, but at the same time, I could not believe, but I knew the reality, I knew that my life had changed forever, I knew that I was, I understood very clearly in my mind uh, that uh, I was before an, an actor of my life, and now I was becoming a spectator, then before I was free, and then now I've lost some autonomy, and from uh, hyperactive woman. I was now static in a bed with access only to what my hands could uh, reach. That means the table on my over my knees in in the bed. Eventually a phone, but nothing else. That freedom was over. And then little by little, I understood that I was not in that hospital for three weeks. That it was planned, but for nine or one year, nine months or one year, and that was the end of my life as a business executive in IBM, my life as a mother, my life as a lover, my life as a wife, my life as a friend, my life as a, a passionate about a, a women's network. Everything which has constituted my life was over. I was stuck in that bed with, with, no, with no movement and no, no action. Up to the time that we, I, I was, we would be able to find either a full or partial solution. So I was, uh, I was in that mood and not terribly comfortable. I, I would say.
1: Oh, not a lot. Uh, so I want to make sure that the listeners really understood what you said there. Um, it, you said a lot, but I want to I want to just really focus on this phrase: going from an actor in your life to a spectator. That is just astounding, especially for someone uh, as ferocious as you. Um, so now, if you would. Help us understand a little bit about that journey. I know we don't have a lot of time to really talk through the details, but give us some insight into what it was like to navigate that long journey of recovery. I know it was so painful. You talk in the book about working through the pain and and and, and vomiting through the pain because it's just brought you to almost literally to your knees. Help us understand a bit about what, what was it like?
2: Physically, first, I stayed for weeks in in bed and nothing could happen. I was even not able to read or to write. I was only with my phone. There was no internet in the, the hospital, thanks to the French organization and I was lost and I had nothing else to do than to think about my life, to think what I did right, what I should change and to meditate Uh, thanks to Deepak Chopra there are good good programs which are free and will help me a lot then after the next stage was really to move from that bed to be moved from that bed to another type of table in rehabilitation which should should verticalize me because at one point for the body it, it if you lay too much in on in a bed you need to be verticalized and it's very slow, you go centimeters by, by centimeters because you are fainting, your body can't stand it and you are suffering the hell so it took me a long week like that and at one point I was able to stand nearly vertical with uh, some ropes uh, 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 taking me on, on that table not too full, but vertical. And then it became possible to be set onging myself to, uh, to parallel bars and to start to be moved, my foot started to be moved by someone to re-understand really the, the motion but that, that took me nearly three three months before I could stand in the vertical bars and then after with daily exercise but not this sort of intensive exercise you would dream some little exercise where some people were moving my legs I was even not feeling them and I was unable to to do any anything uh, like uh, you do or usually when you walk or these sort of things I was moved to uh, to walk a little bit to learn how to extract my legs and move from one step uh, to another on the stair. I was able to use a rollator, walking like a toddler and I still walk, still walk like a toddler uh, today. Uh, I'm unable to walk properly. And then I'm, uh, I would say six months after this, uh, this surgery I was with canes, and uh, as I am now, that means I can't walk any place inside the, my house. I can climb stairs if I have things to ropes to angst be and to, to make the effort to do so. But today, five years after, I'm still unable to take my can and to go outside in the street to go to the chemistry or to go to the coffee shop to have a ca- coffee on my own I don't have enough balance to do so so it's it's uh, challenging I would say but it, it is less challenging today than it was at that time where it was uh, uh, really rather a place and on the top of it uh, just to mention it because i don't like to mention it too much because i don't want to complain but the pain neurological or muscular is permanent and there is nothing to be done unless i would agree which i disagree to take painkillers which are destroying who will be destroying my mind
1: no, we don't. We don't want to destroy that beautiful mind of yours. And so, I just want to acknowledge. <laughs> I want to acknowledge what you've just shared with us. And I don't even know how to get present to what you the the, the process that you went through to to be able to at least walk again. Um, but I I want to just hold that for a second and 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 try, literally stand in that place with you. So when we when you did leave the hospital and you came home for the, for the first time, returned back to your family, one of the things that I, just really struck me so profoundly in your book and your TEDx is you discovered something incomprehensible. You discovered that you, the uber-successful, independent superwoman, had become a burden to your family. Help us understand, what was it like, that reentry process back to your family post-operation, and what was it like for them to have this altered being among them?
2: but you know there is no good or bad or good person or bad person there is just a system and a family is nothing else than a system where people work under a process where you have roles and you play the roles and my role was has been for 20 years super mom mom in chief and I was doing uh, even more than they were asking I mean I was handling everything uh, uh, for my daughters for my husband for my friends for women network for, and so on and so forth and everybody has, has agreed that I was playing that role and there was probably some toxicity also from my part as from their part for me to do it and for them to agree that I do it but they were very surprised when they discovered that I was in a bed that I wasn't able to go to the loo to take a shower on my own to to organize the house as I used to be and to answer to their needs and For them, there was two things. They were full of empathy and pity for me, but also they were suffering the hell. My daughters were suffering the hell to see their mother in such a state. Their whole model has disappeared into somebody who was uh, not complaining a lot, but in pain and pale and not variable. And for them, it was too much. So, in fact, in that sort of case, you have a very... You, you experiment like all of us mourning, that means we, we got all the stadium, each of us with his personality or her personality and their background, went to anger like me, sadness, uh, uh, negotiation, eventually acceptance. But somehow the, the three attitudes possible when you face a, a, a major problem in life, which are fight, freeze or run. That was also the case for them, and some of them decided to freeze, not to see the thing. Some some others run out of me because it was unbearable to see me suffering. And some others stayed by my side and fight with me up to the time I I found an equilibrium balance and I could go back to life. But I would say, uh, none of us are uh, ideal and perfect and you can't uh, uh, expect for the people to behave like you would like them to behave. They are what they are at their age with their personalities, their background and so forth. So there is nothing good or or bad, That's that's just it. Yes, um, and
1: so I, I just I appreciate the the grace with which you narrated that, and I want to say a, a little bit more about that. But let me let's grab our last break here, if we can. Nadalette. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Nadallette Lafond Desis. She is the newly minted author of *The Bending Reed: The Story of a Marvelous Operation*, and she's also a motivational and TEDx speaker. She joins us today from Paris, France. We've been talking a bit about the operation that altered her life. After the break, we're going to hear about the dream that she's
0: Is working on purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A L I S E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to working on purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Nadalette she She's the newly minted author of The Bending Read, the, the Story of a Marvelous Operation, and she's a motivational TEDx speaker. Her tremendous grit and resilience allowed her to entirely transform herself from a very successful corporate executive to the writer and speaker she is today. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. I just want to say from the last bit that we were talking about, Nadalette, I'm, I'm wondering, I don't know that I picked this up in your TEDx or, or your, your TED Talk or your book, Are you still married? Yeah, I'm still married. We're (laughs) still (laughs) married. Amazing transformation there as well. My goodness. Okay. Um, All right. So present day then, I mean, it's talk about, you know, witnessing a profound transformation uh, or being part of this. And I also want to say for our listeners um, that Nadalette is also one of the contributors to the the women's anthology that I'm creating right now. So she's sharing her story there too. Um, But present day... You are a writer and a motivational speaker, and you had a dream at age 18 to write and knew you wanted to write and be an author, but you completely ignored that, believing that you could not support yourself as a writer. So talk with us about that dream. Where did it come from, and how did you know you were supposed to write?
2: well as a, as a uh, young 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 lady as i was very lonely i used to read a lot and i was fascinated by books literature and also all that and my dream in my in my life was really at 18 to become a, a journalist and a writer but i realized that it would not nurture uh, my my uh, financial uh, expectation then I gave up and I went to success and as I was working like hell I had no time for, for to listen uh, to my inner voice and to start writing and also probably in myself I was uh, frightened to to fail as a writer or to succeed I don't know but nevertheless at one point after my surgery I had time for, for a good year I had to write uh, some uh, report for expertise and then I start to write about this experience at the hospital the surgery the fact that I was uh, handicapped and how everybody reacts around me the good and the bad and everything and I wrote a book without noticing I was writing a book and at one point I, I, I put a, a point final uh, and then I say, oh my god I am in a deep trouble because i took about i wrote about many things including my family and if i if it is a book first problem i have to tell them because they are part of the journey and they were absolutely outstanding because they read the book and they say, well, it's not exactly what we would expect you to, to, to say about us, but that's fair enough and you can go ahead. And then after, I had some good friends which are uh, very good uh, French intellectuals and I told, I told them this, okay, I'm sending you a, a script. If it's uh, just pathos uh, and no interest, please don't let me be totally ridiculous and let me know and then there was two days where they were reading the thing and i was uh, uh, completely uh, worried i said well i'm sure it's absolutely a disaster what i wrote and then they came back to me and tell me no it's good go for, for a publisher and i went to a publisher i found one and when the book was published, and I saw it on the shelves at the at the librarian, I mean, it was like a fourth baby. It was absolutely incredible. It was a pleasure. It was joy. And then after, it has a reasonable success in France. But on the top of that success, I had some very specific, very qualitative feedback from readers, which thought it was a sort of initiative uh, journey. And it was important for them to understand what were the solutions in the this sort of uh, of situation, uh, we, which can be a, a surgery, but which can be a divorce, which can be unemployment, which which are universal, these sort of stories. And then uh, this incredible feedback was absolutely a gift to me because I was not expecting it, and I felt very strongly the responsibility towards the readers. Mm.
1: Well, so... Beautiful. A couple of things that I want to say on top of that. One, that book came out exactly three years after your operation, which I think yeah. is stunning. Um, and two, I want. Yeah, you're welcome. It's it's very inspiring. My book is coming out this year as well. Finally, after birthing it for a bit, so I, I really appreciate and applaud your journey, and and feel a little bit of the pain that goes along with it too, and creating it. Um, the thing that i want to talk about next for our listeners and is so, this is so important and you talk you just mentioned it before but it's that thing about hearing that internal voice that kept trying to get your attention and tell you that you sh- how you should be living your life and that you should be directing your efforts elsewhere and you kept shushing it you kept shushing it but over there was a point somewhere i think in the hospital you said where you finally began to hear that voice Tell us about that. What was that like? when did it show? When could you hear that voice?
2: I mean, she, this voice has always been there, but I was telling her to, to shut down very, very often because I was in my comfort zone. I was under anesthesia of success and I didn't want to get to move from there. And then as I, I turned, I start really to talk with myself a lot and to listen for the first time, to listen to myself. And after the surgery, it was 9 months of solitude so I had nothing else to than to have this exchange and at one point uh she pushed me to write write, but for the first time it was with no intention Uh, that means I had no uh, career path behind the fact of becoming a writer, it was different it was authentic, it was respectful of my timing it was respectful of my body it was respectful of my belief which had changed, it was uh, with another spirit and and still now uh, where uh, some people tell me you should write about Something and I say no. It's not what I want to write about, or it's not what I want to talk about, because uh, that's not me. I, and I think if we if we talk about the TEDx, which is now over 1 million views, which for a TEDx in French is outstanding I would have been happy with, with 10,000 views and now it, it has subtitles in English and in Spanish and in French so it goes to, to international views as well. What is striking the people is I am in, in on stage like I'm in the book like I'm with you today totally authentic I mean I have no filter.
1: Yes, and I can tell that. And I, 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 I love that. That's I'm very, very present and connected to you because of that. And for our listeners who might not have heard just what you said there, I want to present an incredibly beautiful and important phrase that you just uttered, the anesthesia of success. Boy, that is just so important for our listeners to understand that you can be extremely successful in life, but not at all be living your compass or your purpose. And so, and and there's lots of ways that we can anesthetize ourselves, but success is one of them. So I wanted to make sure they heard that. Um, So next, because we're getting close to being out of time already, I want to get a couple more things out of you if I can, Natalette. Um, I want to talk about how you're out now sharing your TED talk and you're speaking as a motivational speaker because I'm a person who is all about helping people become who they ache to become. Help us understand how those experiences have been contributing to your own ongoing journey of transformation and becoming more of who you really are today.
2: I become authentic, I think, because uh, as I have no filter, and I feel the responsibility to to share and to pass on to new generation and to help people, not directly, but just by the by examples by saying that I had uh, success for sure, some good things in life but also some failure. I became authentic and this brings me also to meet many many people and to many opportunities because I am not searching them for the sake of uh, fortune I would say. Uh, So really what is happening is uh, I would say that uh, I am in not in a, no more in a dream. I am in my life. I am totally aligned, soul, spirit, and body, and paying attention and respect to myself as to the other. So I am changing not only my attitude versus myself, but also my attitude versus other. Which which is also that sometimes I say no to some people because. Uh, if I take an example some people ask me as a coach to, to coach them and I say no today I'm a speaker nowadays and more, more more, even more a writer and it's no more my job my mission to be a coach so I'm no more a coach and I say no to coaching for instance I'm totally aligned to what is my life and to what I can deliver the best for uh, uh, at this very moment
1: mm. So what's next for you? You I think you you make mention of a of a second book. My guess is you're probably writing something as we speak, but what's on the horizon for you? Where are you taking your career next?
2: My career is certainly as a writer and just for the fun of it I want to mention that I have a dear dear family in New Orleans, the La Fonta of New Orleans, Juan, Dana and their parents, which I discover some ten years ago. We are back to the eighteenth century together. We cross uh, the ocean in different ways, then through Cuba and Dominique and uh, New Orleans and me staying my, 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 my site staying in France and there is part of the story of this family. I would like to to, to to talk about and to write about, and also I'm preparing a novel about uh, how you can deliver yourself to being under too much uh, pressure and toxicity from others. But in the in as a novel, and also, also why not a TEDx in English in 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 America? Why not? <laughs> I oh. don't know what will happen, but I would love. I mean, uh, my my. Where I feel I'm totally connected and and right is when I am with people, sharing experience and trying to uh, go with them to another step and another level of uh, consciousness. And if I can help, I'm just happy. Mm
1: -hmm. Me too. I'm right there with you. Well, I would love to help get you on this side of the pond and have you speaking to more audiences here in And I need to practice my English. Well, and I need to practice my French big time, so (laughs) we'll do it together. Um, So, for our listeners to really get present, you say this so beautifully in your TEDx talk, but how would you compare and contrast your life before and after this operation?
2: You know what? I'm free. I'm free because I'm less autonomous, but I'm free in my mind. I'm myself. I'm no more in a permanent fight like I was, but I'm in a flow. And it's very important because everything ap- happened easily when you are in the floor. For instance, meeting Alice Cortes, through a lady in Shanghai, which is, was rather improbable. And also, I think, and it's very important, I'm a better person. I'm no more this little Terminator in uh, in uh, in dresses I was, which was frightening, very efficient, but frightening. I have no regret on who I was, and I had to, to pass through those stages, and I think one of the advice I should have given in life, never have a regret of who you were. You, you, you have been who you could be at that time, and now you are different, you are better, or you are worse, but you are, you who you are when you can so really I'm free and I'm in the flow Mm, Delightful
1: and here we are at the close already Nalilet so you you know this program is intended to help people across the world develop more meaning passion inspiration and purpose across their lives and their work with that what would you like to leave our listeners with today?
2: Well uh, align your mind and your spirit and your body believe in tomorrow but live here and now, get, get through your grief and leave your life, your whole life behind because there's no use to keep it in your mind. Have a dream, a project and go for it and decide what is meaningful for you. No one else knows what is meaningful for you and go for it. You are, we are, I am not a victim. I have a handicap, but I'm not my handicap. Go for free.
1: Mm. Beautiful finish to the to the show, Natalet. Merci beaucoup. Thank you for joining us and working on purpose. It has been an, an extreme delight and pleasure to share you with my listeners.
2: Thank you, Alice. Really I'm very grateful for your warm welcome and to give me this opportunity, which I appreciate a lot. You're very welcome. Very I welcome.
1: It. Uh, and listeners, again, I wanted to share Natalette with you because I know that you need inspiration to go for what you're what you're up to in life. And she is a tremendous source of inspiration. And I'm here to deliver that for you. So that's your your present for the new year. This is the beginning of 2020. So happy New Year to you with that gift. And if you want to learn more about Nadalet, go to her book or her TED Talk. Um, you can act. Uh, you can be, You can get access to all of those things by going to her website. It's com. Let me spell that for you n a n a d a l e t t e l a f o n t a dot com, Nadalette Lafonta dot com. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch a recorded podcast. We enjoyed a special conversation with Ellen Ke- Keith Line Byrne talking about her unique approach to building culture and leaders inside organizations. See you next week for another nurturing conversation. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose.
0: enjoyed this week's program be sure to tune in to working on purpose featuring your host Elise cortez each week on the voice america empowerment channel this week find your life's purpose at work